Hello and welcome or welcome back to the Yours Truly podcast. This is our May episode of the show. My name is Claire Tuning. I am your host. I'm a non-diet dietitian, lover of peanut butter and jelly, food puns, all the things that I usually say when I introduce myself, but I hope your May and almost kick off to the summer is going well so far. I'm actually recording the intro to this episode on the day that I plan on posting it, which is so unlike me, I typically record things pretty far in advance, but something about this recording, I just couldn't get myself to sit down and do the intro for this episode, so I'm doing it right under the wire. But um, if you are listening in real time on May 24th or even the next couple of days after this comes out, we are getting ready to head into a holiday weekend, at least here if you're in the United States. Memorial Day weekend, I know for a lot of us this marks the official or unofficial start of summer. I don't know if it's technically the official start. I guess real summer on the calendar starts a little bit later in June, but for so many of us, it marks being outside and having cookouts and maybe going to the beach or some body of water, even if that's like a pool in your backyard or neighborhood. And I know summer can be an interesting time when it comes to navigating food and body challenges and just being surrounded by diet talk a little bit more so than you might be at other times of the year. So if you are looking for a couple of reminders heading into this weekend, let's chat about it and then we'll get into some other updates. So first and foremost, you need to eat. You need to eat enough. You need to eat adequately every single day. Your body doesn't care if it's a holiday or if it's a long weekend. Your body doesn't care what you ate yesterday, but it will care about eating enough today as you are listening to this. So I know it can be really common to fall into the, you know, diet starts I guess Tuesday, since Monday might be a day off or a continuation of the weekend for most of you, but you can fall into that mindset and fall into restriction after having a weekend of fun and eating and, you know, drinking if that's something that you choose to do. But let this be an invitation to continue on at the start of next week as usual, meeting your body's needs, eating for self-care, and knowing that will look a little bit different every single day. I think Rachel and I actually talk about in this episode, so more on that to come. Second thing, you are allowed to enjoy food, to look forward to eating, to be excited about social events involving food. I have had a lot of conversations with clients both recently and over the years where we feel some kind of guilt related to being a food person, right? I've heard people say, I am just, I love food and I'm so excited for it and I I feel bad about that because I'm thinking about it and I'm planning for it. And yes, there is a world where thinking about food a lot and feeling fixated on it and planning your every move around food can feel disordered and it can take away from other aspects of life if we take it to the extreme. However, if you're someone who is just excited to eat some summer foods and enjoy, you know, your aunt's favorite pasta salad that she brings to the cookout. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. And you are allowed to look forward to eating and put foods on your plate that will not only fuel your body and act as staying power and physical fuel, but they will give you that mental satisfaction as well. We can eat for fuel, but we can also eat for taste and enjoyment. And that is okay. I would even argue that is part of a a healthy relationship with food. Um, Last thing, please 
wear sunscreen and stay hydrated. I know this has nothing to do with food, but oftentimes heading into the summer, I like to think about things we can do for our health and for our bodies that have nothing to do with food and nothing to do with weight or trying to change our weight because there are other dimensions of health beyond just what we are eating or, or how we're moving and skincare, protecting your skin and your body from the sun is a really big one. I um, I personally am a very fair-skinned human. I have skin cancer that has been a part of my family before, so that is something very much on my radar. So something you can do preventatively for your health this weekend and beyond is focus on skincare, sunscreening up, covering your body, wearing a hat, in addition to eating and, and staying hydrated and all the things. So I hope you enjoyed this brief chat, this brief check-in about um, some summer prepping tips, a non-diet edition of some summer prepping tips. But this is usually the part of the episode where I talk about some um, updates before I introduce our guest and give you a taste of what we're going to talk about in today's episode, and believe it or not, I don't really have as many exciting updates for you as I did for last month's intro for that episode. I feel like in April, I was doing a lot of things. There was lots of travel, there was the Eras tour, there was going to Texas and seeing a bunch of dietitian friends and colleagues, and I loved that, but honestly, in May, I have just really loved being at home more often and working on doing less. That was actually one of my goals for May. Like as a part of my business scheduling or planning, I planned to not launch anything, to not do anything super time or labor intensive because the start of the year had been tiring enough. So um, I don't have as many updates, but a couple for you. I celebrated a birthday earlier this month, so that's also part of the reason why I wanted May to be more relaxed. I wanted to celebrate and enjoy the beginning of my 28th year. So um, happy birthday to all my fellow Tauruses out there. I know we're about to be not in Taurus season anymore. You know, to be honest, I don't know anything about astrology, so I could very much be posting this when we're already on to Gemini season. I know that's next because I have some friends who have birthdays in June, but um, whatever that means to you, if anything, happy birthday belated or, or early to anyone who has a neighboring birthday to me. We also kicked off our May through July membership session in the Yours Truly Collective. This is my monthly membership program that is only open for enrollment every three months. But as a part of this membership program, I host a live class every single month on a different topic related to non-diet nutrition or body image. And our topic for this month was about emotional eating. I called it um, the emotional eating road trip, how to explore, what did I say? How to stop the emotional eating spiral and explore coping routes beyond food. That was the tagline. So we covered a lot in that 75 minute class. I love a themed class because it allows me to do a lot of puns and analogies, which if I wasn't a dietitian, is expert pun maker a job? I don't know, but I would love to do something like this. And I had a lot of fun in this class. Our community members really loved it because that's a really hot button topic when it comes to food and eating, like emotional eating and what to do about it and how to navigate that. So if you are a community member and you haven't caught the replay yet, that is waiting in your inbox and I hope you enjoy. 
Last thing, speaking of May being just a slower, more relaxed month, I'm about to go on vacation for a week with my family, which I am very excited about. Every year of my life since I was two years old on the week of Memorial Day, we go on a family vacation down to South Carolina with some family friends, and um, I'm recording this several days before we leave. So you should see my room right now. I have started packing things and putting all of my liquids into travel size bottles. I am someone um, who likes to pack for several days leading up to the event because personally, nothing stresses me out more than having to pack all the things in a short window of time. I like to spread it out over several days and, you know, spread out the workload and then I'm not as stressed when it comes time to leave. The older I get, the more I realize I am my mother because that is what my mother has always done. Hi mom, if you're listening, you're great. <laughs> but enough for updates because as far as this month's episode goes, I am chatting with a fellow registered dietitian. Her name is Rachel Fine. So a little bit about Rachel from her bio so you know more on her and her background and what gives her the expertise to talk on all things dance nutrition. Rachel is a former professional dancer turned registered dietitian who founded To The Point Nutrition in 2013. That's point with an E as in a point shoe. Um, but she founded this with a mission to provide certified nutrition education to dancers of all ages and all levels. She's a certified specialist in sports dietetics and a certified intuitive eating counselor, and she built the Healthy Dancer community to combine the principles of performance nutrition with a non-diet approach to eating. Rachel received her master's degree in clinical nutrition and dietetics from NYU, New York University, and she completed her dietetic internship at NYU Langone Medical Center and the Mount Sinai Hospital. After receiving her licensure and certification, she joined the staff at NYU Medical Center as a clinical dietitian, and she worked as NYU's clinical adjunct co-instructor for medical nutrition therapy. Her experience among populations in the performing arts stems further with research at NYU Langone's Harkness Center for Dance Injuries and appointment of adjunct professor of sports nutrition at Long Island University Post. She has also pre been presented as a recurring nominee for the Dance Educators Award from the International Association for Dance Medicine and Science. In this episode, Rachel and I talk about her work with dancers, of course, dancers and performers, and this very specific food and body challenges that those individuals face in that line of work. And we also zoom out a little bit to talk about some bigger picture tips for rewiring your self-talk around food and how to do some checkpoints around eating. So no matter if you are a dancer or if you know a dancer or if you even have a nothing to do with the dance world or the dance community, you're still going to have some helpful takeaways from this conversation. And if you stick around to the end of this interview, you will hear some of the rapid fire, hard hitting questions that I had for Rachel about dancing. These are things that popped into my mind throughout our conversation and I could not let her go without asking these things like, do good dancers have more fun in life than those of us who are more rhythmically challenged? And um, how are your feet doing, being in the point shoes all the time. So if you are curious about those things as well, and you want to hear the take of a professional dancer, stick around with us until the end. But without further ado, let's get to the point already. 
You can see what I did there. Let's get to the point and have our conversation with Rachel. Enjoy. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to the Yours to Lead podcast. We're going to get to the point today. <laughs> yes, I love that. Point with an E. I want to stress point that. With an E. I um, I hope you know, I do plan on using some version of that in the title for this episode because it's too good. Um, when, when Sonia, my awesome assistant kind of came across your content and she was like, Claire, you need to have Rachel on the podcast. I immediately was in, I was sold on you, not only because of your content, but the pun in the name of your business. I was like my kind of person, 10 out of 10. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm a big fan of puns too. So I can relate in that sense. Well, I'm glad we'll hopefully have a punny conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Before we get there, though, let's do some this or that. Are you ready? Absolutely. Okay. I have five questions and we are starting off strong with tacos or burritos. Definitely burritos. I agree. They're just like more self-contained. And I like how like meaty they are. You can have a meaty taco, but I think you can just stuff so much into a burrito and have all of that different texture and flavors it's just, it's really complex and interesting all in one bite. And if you're good at wrapping it, emphasis on like actually having the skill to wrap it well, um, you won't be losing stuff out the back like you do with tacos all the time. That's always my issue. So I'm with you. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. If you're traveling in a car, would you rather be the passenger or the driver? Definitely the, actually, um, no, it depends who's driving. <laughs> I was at first going to say definitely the passenger because I admit that I do like vegging out on my phone sometimes. So if like my husband is just driving and we have a longer drive, it's kind of nice. I can just veg out. Um, But that being said, I happen to love driving too. I like getting lost in my music. And sometimes I will actually get into a little bit of like choreography while I'm driving. And I think dancers can relate to this when you're at the steering wheel. I don't, it's something about driving the steering wheel and you kind of just like music I don't know I I like them both it's hard to choose that um that must be a dancer thing now I as a non-dancer will definitely bump to my music and have like a a head nod or some very not so great choreography when I dance but (laughs) so when you say you get into the choreography are you in your head planning out choreography or like dancing in your mind maybe it's a combination of I I am absolutely planning out a full-blown dance on like five to 10 dancers that I have never met, will never meet and will never choreograph on. So yeah, it's a very official process that never really amounts to anything. But it sounds fun, creative for you. (laughs) It is fun. It is fun. Yeah. As um, like I said, as a non-dancer, I have never even had the passing thought of like, let me come up with choreography that blew my mind just now. I'm like, what must it be to live in someone else's brain? Wild. Um, Okay. Next question. Sweet or savory? I'm a sweet person. Absolutely. I had a little bit of a shift when I was pregnant with my son. I lost my sweet tooth. It was really weird. And I started, that was when I first started getting into cheese and I, I couldn't drink wine at the time, but Um, I think it was, I guess, just as you get older and you get into cheese and wine, I don't know, that slow progression. But since then, that was that that was uh, seven years ago already. But I'm definitely back to my sweet tooth. So if I had to choose, definitely sweet. 
Okay. It's, it's hard because we need both, right? We need the, the sweet and the savory both for like satisfaction purposes. But I, I find most people are at least like 51% in one category. I'm like 51 in the, in the savory or like the salty category, okay. more of a salty snack out, but we need sweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. I have two more. This next one is inspired since we are speaking in springtime. So are you a tulip person or sunflowers? What flowers do you prefer? Sunflowers. Sunflowers. I love yellow. So funny. I was actually just purchasing some sunflowers for my mother's day gathering on Sunday. So sunflowers are top of my, my mind right now. Top of your mind, along with choreographing a dance for five years. You've never met, you never will meet. It's fun. (laughs) Thanks. You got a lot going on up here. Okay. Last one. Um, I don't know if you're a chicken or a chicken nugget person. You are okay. Nodding your head. So are you more of a nugget person or a strip person? Chicken strip? Oh. Chicken nuggets. nuggets in the, actually the air fryer. So oh. my, my brother recently got me into <clears throat> my kids. They're not adventurous eaters. It's a whole nother podcast in of itself. And I'm not a pediatric dietitian. So no judgment on my own part, but chicken nuggets are a big hit in my household more times than not. And my brother introduced me to putting chicken nuggets in the air fryer and it's delicious. I never did that up until a month ago. So definitely chicken nuggets in an air fryer. So good. Oh yeah. I will put anything and everything in the air fryer that fits into the basket. Like if it fits, yeah. I'm going to try it. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's a wonderful tool to have. Yeah, I agree. And um, on the the not being a pediatric dietitian comment, I am hoping to have one on the podcast very soon. So if anyone was listening, like I want more content on picky eaters or that, like I'm I'm hopeful we're going to have someone in that niche um, as well soon. But uh, today we're here to talk about your niche. You work with dancers specifically. You are a registered dietitian. And something that I'm curious to know from all of my guests is just how you got started not only as a dietitian, but specifically in this area of the field. I'm assuming there is some level of personal connection to this. So tell us a little bit more about that if you would. Absolutely. Well, I've been dancing my whole life. The The story is not going to be too novel. It's going to be somewhat um, cliche. I've been dancing my whole life. And it was when I was about 16 that I was sitting in a summer dance intensive. So all dancers, when you are on a more pre-professional track at some point along the way, you start attending intensive type programs, similar to what you would have for any other type of sport. Uh, So summer intensives are, they last from anywhere from like one to seven weeks during the summer. And they're usually at, you're usually for them traveling to a company, whatever it might be. So this was, uh, I didn't travel too far. I was at a summer intensive in New York City. I'm from Long Island, so it wasn't too far, but I was living there. It was the first time uh, really that I was kind of like on my own. I was in high school at the time, but it was the first time I was on my own. And I was at this summer intensive. And when you are a pre-professional dancer, you will do anything it takes to succeed and to promote a professional dance career. So you're very vulnerable at that time, right? You have all of these vulnerabilities happening at at the same time, I should say, because I was also a late bloomer, probably related to the amount I was dancing. So, so much going on around this time in my life, but all I really cared at the time was to pursue a professional dance career. So it was at this great intensive and there was a nutrition workshop and it was a, it was a 
pretty solid nutrition workshop. Don't remember who led it. Um, but side note for my whole life, although now I'm a recovering perfectionist, but I am also a type A perfectionist type of person, which is very common in the dance world. I don't know what comes first, the dancer or the type A perfectionist, but they kind of fit together most often, especially when you're a classical ballet dancer, which is what I was. So I was sitting in this nutrition workshop and a seemingly harmless phrase literally sparked it all for me. And it was your body is your tool. What you put into it is going to have a major impact on what comes out of it in regard to your performance. And I think it's a, it's not, it's a great phrase, right? But for a very vulnerable 16 year old perfectionist type A kind of dancer, I took that to the extreme. And I was like, Oh, my God, you're telling me that I can actually maybe control the destiny of my dance career, because at that time, it felt so out of my control, in just auditioning, being in classes, wanting to get on the good side of your teachers and your director directors, so much in a young dancer's life, very much feels out of control. So to kind of have this little outlet, that was like, wow, maybe I have a little bit more control than I thought. And long story short, that spiraled into a stint with, uh, well, it started with clean eating. That's where I started to do my own little research. I was 16 at the time. So this was 2006, 2007. And, you know, internet was around, social media wasn't, but I had easy access to, I'm pretty sure it was maybe even Google at the time. I don't really remember, but um easy access to kind of look things up on the internet. I remember uh, subscribing to like clean eating magazine one time. And I just became enthralled with this idea of quote unquote health and wanting to eat healthfully. Uh, I think this is a similar story that actually a lot of our fellow dietitians have experienced. Um, but I became very interested in health and uh, it did spiral into, I was never officially diagnosed with an eating disorder, but that's a whole nother conversation in of itself in regards to not knowing that what I was doing was actually disordered at the mm -hmm. time in regards to these restrictive cleaning and habits that I, uh, ultimately it led me to struggle with injury. So between what would be very prime years for a dancer's training, you're talking like 17 years old. The stint wasn't too long. Luckily, I had some perspective and I can tell you why I had some perspective at the time to know like something was a little bit off. I come from a pretty typical large Jewish family and most family celebrations and gatherings are centered around food. So it wasn't too long before I realized and even like my parents realized like, what is what are you trying to keep up with? Why can't you enjoy the foods that you were enjoying six months ago? You know what I mean? For whatever reason it was, they didn't fit into that clean eating lifestyle, whatever it was. And luckily, I, I had that perspective shift sooner than later that I was able to well, I was simultaneously becoming very burnt out with dance, rightfully so. I wasn't fueling my body adequately. I was exhausted. I was tired. I was experiencing injury. And I was burnt out because of all of those reasons. That's when I really made this shift to actually studying uh, nutrition. I was very interested in nutrition. I was very confused by the topic of nutrition. And I made the shift. I decided to um, go to college to be, I found out about this career as a dietitian. I didn't really know much about it at that time. All I knew is that I could go and learn more officially what it means to eat healthy and what I, you know, wanted to kind of clarify for all my confusion. 
And I was able to stay in New York City. So I never actually stopped dancing. I was able to train, keep my training throughout most of my time in the academic world of becoming a dietitian. It was hard and I had to take a pause when I did my dietetic internship. But just having the privilege of being in New York City, which is a dance capital of the world, um, I never really had to leave the, the uh, I never had to really had to leave the community itself. And I always at the back of my mind knew that I want, once I started to understand more about nutrition, because I went to NYU and I will say, even though unfortunately it's a very weight centric program, which most dietetic programs are, the one thing that, that NYU did help me with, well, help me with a lot, but the one thing it did, it did help me with that wasn't a weight centric focused was that it helped me to understand that I was able to enjoy food. I didn't have to fear food because what clean eating did for me was cause me to literally have all of these fears around foods that I once loved. And when I went to NYU and I started to meet students who were in the food studies program and learn more about the role of food in our culture, it opened this whole idea to me that actually food doesn't have to be so micromanaged and you can still eat at that time. You know, I was still striving more for that classic healthy diet that we're even learned about, you know, that we even learn in our dietetics training um, or from that weight normative approach, you know what I'm talking about. But I, it started to open the doors to me that food could, I shouldn't feel guilty or ashamed for the fact that I really enjoyed food. And I wanted to learn how to, you know, utilize it in my life in a way that just wasn't always about micromanaging it in some way. So that was a, a big open door that I experienced throughout my dietetics training. Um, did I answer the original question? Because yeah. I don't know if, I, if you want me to go further. No, that was awesome. I think the question was just like, how'd you get here? And that was oh, okay. a pretty good synopsis. I think, um, you know, what you said before about how your story in some ways is very reflective of the experience of many dietitians, maybe not specifically from a dance perspective, but from having this interest in nutrition or healthy eating. I know that was true for me and that interest, which can be very disordered in its own way, right? It sounds like that was the case for you can lead into this profession, which isn't always the most helpful or healing. I'm really happy to hear in your experience that you kind of got a a glimpse of food being enjoyed and it's okay. And food is a part of culture in your schooling that was in some ways present for me. I've heard dietitians have very like different experiences with their schooling, but I think that really speaks to like um, the importance for us as professionals. And this could again be a whole different podcast episode, but for us as professionals, like working on our own relationship with food, in addition to the school and the clinical knowledge, like before we work with individuals, right? Because if we are still very disordered in our thinking, we have the potential to do so much more harm for our clients, right? So that could be a whole nother thing, but that's one thing that um, stood out about your story. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I do always want to acknowledge the privilege in my whole story, because the truth is as a thin bodied white woman, even in considerations with the dance world, I acknowledge, like fully acknowledge that I was able to kind of just scoot by with 
having these struggles for myself, picking up disordered eating habits, but being able to, in my opinion, move from them without the major amounts of trauma that others who might not necessarily be in a smaller body experience. You know what I mean? So I think that plays a a role in this as well that I don't want to ignore. I think there's a lot of privilege, unfortunately, in so much of our our profession that's problematic. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that sometimes it could probably be frustrating for some to hear in regards to me being able to find this journey and be able to put the puzzle pieces together in, with healing my own relationship with food because I didn't necessarily experience the extreme levels of trauma that someone may have experienced in a larger body. For sure. I really appreciate you bringing that in and, and calling that out. Um, I live with some of those same privileges as well. And you know, when we look at privilege, obviously it's this unearned benefit that makes many aspects of life easier. And, you know, going through a nutrition program, you know, I personally can talk all day long, you know, about some of the harms that it brought to my relationship with food. And at the same time, moving forward and unlearning a lot of that was easier for me. It sounds like for someone like you as well to depart from those systems because our bodies that are nourished and healed still fit many of the societal norms, right? So um, yeah, I really appreciate you calling and, and naming that too. And one other thing that um stood out to me about your story is when you were talking about the control aspect. I think that's something that we see. I mean, I know it's something that I see in working with my clients that is a really common thread in any type of disordered relationship with food, especially when we're working with an individual who is younger and so many aspects of life feel out of control and beyond their grasp, right? If food is something that happens every single day, multiple times a day, especially if your body is being positioned as like your tool for success in your field and this dream that you really want, you're using the word vulnerable a lot. I think that's a really great descriptor for how tough it can be for these communities, whether it be dancing or just young kids that feel out of control in so many other ways, right? To focus on their food intake and having that perceived sense of control as a result. So I appreciate that you mentioned that too. Yeah, thank you. It's challenging because for a lot of dancers that similar to the general population, when we see a spike in disordered eating habits around the time of puberty, similar thing happens for dancers. But what we see is it become exacerbated because dancers are in front of mirrors all day. Um, A dancer who is experiencing puberty and then in a leotard in front of a mirror might seriously struggle with... um, either outward comments or subtle actions from their teachers and higher ups in their schools, not necessarily getting roles, not being cast in certain productions, costume sizes changing. So all of the struggles that one that anyone can face in regard to body image and food, especially during those vulnerable uh, teenage years, becomes 
in my opinion, exacerbated. And actually there is within the last 10 years, the dance medicine field has truly taken off very nicely in regards to us having some solid research on dancers specifically, because when I, when we were actually getting our um, licenses, you know, years ago, there was basically no information that was specific to dancers in general. So even when I was starting out with my private practice, much of the evidence-based guidelines that I went by and that I still try or well, that I still will integrate into my, my work are based on athletes. I would say in the last eight years, we're seeing an emergence of studies on actual dancers. And what we see is that dancers are three times more likely to struggle with an eating disorder. And in my opinion, that tells me that no matter where a dancer is, no matter what age they are, we know right off the bat, they're at a higher risk for developing disordered eating habits. And that's, of course, where the conversation comes in about prevention, education, and so forth. But of course, I don't want to hear your chat too much. Um, but yeah, so that's where that's another consideration when it comes to that vulnerability for dancers is not only are prime training years matching up with puberty, uh, but also you have so many additional external um, sources in a dancer's life that either knowingly or unknowingly will trigger additional disordered eating habits. I mean, even your example from earlier about having those body changes that are a part of puberty and having to go through that in front of a mirror in your training for hours every single day in an outfit that is very tight, right? You know, for the rest of the population, people who aren't dancers, it's not to say that body changes aren't challenging. They definitely are, but they might not come with the added level of difficulty. Like my dream or what I want to do with my career requires body fixation in a lot of ways, right? Standing in front of a mirror, wearing these types of outfits. So it makes a lot of sense of how um, this population is so much more at risk for a lot of challenges with eating and eating disorders. And I'm glad to hear that that's being reflected in some of the research. I'm sure you all in the dance community are like, it's about time <laughs> we had research yes. specifically on our people. Yes, because uh, most dancers are, we're really smart people. And I, I will work that might sound a little silly, but let me get to where I'm trying to go. I'll have adolescent dancers, 13, 14, who are beyond their years in regards to understanding the science or wanting to, I should say, wanting to understand the science of how to feel their bodies. So for me, it might make, and I've experienced this with several of the dancers I work with, it will make all of the difference for me to say, here is a peer-reviewed piece of literature that tells us that dancers are three times more likely for these specific reasons. And when a dancer has, because dancers like black or white answers, like we, we like, again, we like that sense of, there's a sense of comfort, maybe not all day. I shouldn't, I shouldn't uh, generalize. I found as a classically trained ballet dancer, I preferred, um, I preferred the structure and repetition of what ballet is, right? You can take a ballet class anywhere in the world and it doesn't matter what language they speak. I don't speak Japanese. I can take a ballet class in Japan and I'll be fine. It's most ballet classes follow the same structure. I think that's a testament to how ballet dancers 
uh, think and work in regards to wanting this predictability and this structure in their lives. So for so many of the ballet dancers that I work with, when I have a piece of concrete evidence that says something, it actually really helps in their healing of their relationships with food. Light bulbs go off when I have more concrete information to provide to them. For sure. I mean, that makes so much sense. I'm I'm positive that people working with you obviously trust you and value your expertise, but sometimes the take my word for it can only go so far, right? Or, you know, when I was your age or when I was doing this, I learned X, Y, and Z. All of that is valuable. And I'm I'm sure they look up to you and they're looking to you for your advice, but also you being a dancer yourself, knowing how a lot of their brains are going to work, having a specific concrete study or a piece of evidence to point to, it only backs up your case even more. Um, one thing that I wanted to ask you, Rachel, um, I appreciate a lot of your posts on Instagram, not only because of the pun, um, but one of them that I was seeing recently, you were talking about a few affirmations for dancers to bring into the dance studio. Um, I'm looking here at my notes so I don't mess them up, but you had a couple in here that really stood out to me. You were talking, um, my goal is self care, not self-control. And my weight doesn't reflect my worth. And I trust that I can listen to my body. So, so far in our conversation, we have been super focused on your niche on dancers, but I'm thinking that some of these reminders or affirmations probably have application to people who don't dance, who are just, you know, I don't want to say normal people because dancers are normal as well, but people who can't stand in point shoes all day long. So I'm curious if you have any more, you know, thoughts along those lines or reminders for people who find little sound bites like that super helpful and grounding, if any more of those would come to your mind, or maybe even things you're reminding your clients of that you think have a larger application as well. That's a good question. I'm going to go with actually what I posted today because it's been the forefront of my mind for the past couple of weeks. And I think you'll be able to relate to this a little bit in your work. But it's the idea that at the end of the day, the the goal, even with intuitive eating, and I'm I'm referring to the social media watered down version of intuitive. So there, so we've got like two versions of intuitive eating. We have like the social media watered down version of intuitive eating that kind of translated into this like, oh, we even were hungry. We that when we're full and like that's kind of the way it goes which is of course we know that's not the case um then we have actual intuitive eating right that um is this non-diet framework and a lot of dancers going back to dancers they have so much hesitation around this idea of intuitive eating because they see the social media watered down version and they fear i i can't just eat what i want when i am this is like no this isn't going to work and then what ends up happening are dancers will shy away from a supposed non-diet approach. And that's when we see them continuing to hover in that clean eating lifestyle. And the most important soundbite that I can provide to anyone is that ultimately, whether you call it intuitive eating or not, our goal is to honor the body's need for nourishment. And I find that in a lot of conversations around intuitive eating, it can sound or feel somewhat unattainable to some, especially when I'm working with younger dancers who don't necessarily have the access or ability to, um, 
to go out and get the food that they quote unquote crave or that they want at that time, right? It could just feel very unattainable for them. And I try to explain that that's not the goal of intuitive eating, right? The goal is to nourish our bodies. Nourishment is at the end of the day, what we're working on. And for dancers, but also this can be applied to everyone because I don't know anyone in today's day and age who's not overbooked and multitasking. What we need to support our body's nourishment sometimes involves flexible, proactive fueling. And that's constantly what I'm encouraging with the dancers I work with. But again, I see similar threads with all of our fellow um, also intuitive eating non-diet dietitians. The goal is to provide our body with adequate nourishment. And sometimes that meat that takes more effort than what I think social media puts it out to be. So I guess what I'm trying to get at, I think I'm touching on a couple different things here is that no one should feel guilty or ashamed if they feel like they're really struggling with this quote unquote idea of intuitive eating, because it does take a lot of effort. And I always say that, and that especially for dancers, at the beginning and for much a long time, intuitive eating can actually just feel very non-intuitive at first, right? Because um, for the dancers who have struggled with dieting behaviors for so many years, to start to shift this perspective feels anything but intuitive to them. And I guess it's just trying to have a bit more self-compassion for this, this approach and the idea that at first we really want to focus on nourishment. That might mean setting forth a bit more proactive fueling throughout your day, or, you know, just more regular consistent meals and snacks and whatever it might take for you to remember that nourishment, because for dancers, hunger cues just are, we can't really rely on them. They're just out of whack most of the time. So that's not necessarily a soundbite, but what I'm trying to summarize is nourishment is the ultimate goal. No matter how you're getting that done, we want to focus on nourishment. If your quote unquote favorite, most satisfying foods are not available, then we're going to be working with what's accessible to us. Um, and that's for the purpose of, again, this ultimate goal of nourishing our bodies and to not have guilt or shame over that, to be compassionate for the fact that our goal is to nourish our bodies. And again, if certain options are not accessible to you at that time, that's okay. We're going to find things that are accessible. Some food is better than no food. <laughs> that's what yeah. I, some food is better than no food. And I love that you're coming back to this word nourishment. I use that word a lot in my work with clients and in my content. I think it's such a great word that can mean a lot of different things, right? Like nourishing your body, or sometimes I'll say eating for self-care. Some days mm -hmm. that might look one way, another day that might look entirely different. And there might be some similar themes on those days, like eating around the same times, but the types of foods, the exact amounts, right? How much rest you might need one day or movement you might crave the other day it's going to fluctuate. And I think that flexibility is key. And to your point about some of the misconceptions or the watered down version of intuitive eating, I think one of the biggest ones that I see is that people assume, okay, well, there can be no structure. If you're getting away mm. from dieting and you're busting down all of these rules, then it's like what I want, when I want, there are no rules. And like, to an extent, Yes. Like we want you to have agency over your food choices. We want you to be attuned to preferences and things like that. However, what we are not saying is that 
a loose schedule or some routines are unhelpful when it comes to food. I think for many people, it sounds like from what I understand for dancers, having some flexible structure or that routine is really helpful for the general population that I work with. It's super helpful, right? I think you use the word proactive fueling, just like, how is my day going to look today? What do I need to bring with me? When are going to be my opportunities to eat? So yes, we are getting away from those like rigid rules and timeframes and weighing food and stuff like that. But there is still a time and a place to talk about some form of structure if that structure is helping with those nourishment needs. So that's a thought that came to me. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think I've ever had a dancer who couldn't have, I don't think I've ever had a dancer who was able to move throughout their day without some type of, I call it that proactive fueling. And it's, and I also experienced this as a mom also, because mom life, in my opinion, it's similar to dance life in a sense of things you're on the go. Most of the time, things are constantly changing. If I don't take five to 10 minutes in my morning to ask myself for self-care purposes, do I have snacks in my car for myself right now? You know, are those snacks going to um, not only provide me with energy, but are they going to like keep me going for the hour, two hours of carpooling that I have to handle in the afternoon? You know what I mean? Like, so that idea of me needing to utilize flexible planning ahead in obviously a very fluid way is my way of providing my body with self-care through nourishment. And it literally is exactly the same for dancers. And because again, going back to the science a little bit, you know, physiologically, dancers are, uh, their need, their energy expenditure is much higher than that of the average person. And because their bodies are moving, because so much blood flow is happening away, uh, in their extremities, away from the digestive tract, there's so many reasons why hunger cues not only go unnoticed, but truly diminish for a dancer. So for a dancer to fully be relying on physical hunger cues, then they're going to unknowingly underfuel throughout the day. And I, and that is probably one of the biggest challenges that I see among the dancers I work with is that it's not that they're, most people I think have this assumption that most dancers will intentionally underfuel their bodies because of reasons like dieting and disordered eating. But I would say it's a really pretty even split with a lot of dancers just unknowingly underfueling because they're either not thinking too much about it or they're reading something about intuitive eating and they think that just, you know, they should only be eating when they're hungry and stopping when they're full. And it's just not enough for a dancer's higher level of needs, which are comparable to those of an athlete. Yeah, I think that's a great reminder for the dance population and the general population as well. Like I tell my clients all the time, hunger cues can be information, right? Like physical, um, like body cues related to hunger and fullness. It's great if you can get to know them a little bit more or have an awareness of them. However, they are not the only pieces of information needed to make a food decision. A lot of the times mm -hmm. it might be a more practical decision or um, what is my schedule like for the rest of the day? Am I on a medication that's changing my hunger cues? What and when did I eat last? <laughs> like All of these things that um, we need to take into consideration to see that bigger picture than just follow your hunger and fullness cues. So um, 
I've so appreciated talking with you. This is a very um, pointed conversation about dancers. Hopefully we can um, get some individuals who are dancers into this conversation so they can learn. But um, if you're okay with it, I just have a few like rapid fire questions here at the end before we tell people where they can find you. And these are not so much nutrition questions as they are questions that I am super curious about. And I'm thinking our audience might be too. Um, Ready? Yes. Okay. Do you still dance? I do. Yeah. I dance um, three days a week. I still Uh take classes. I have not performed since before I got pregnant with my son. So it's been seven years. I'm not opposed to performing again, but I just don't have the time. I have two little ones at home and between working full time and then just being a mom full time, I I, performance is just the one thing that I haven't been able to get back to. But in addition to that, I will say my relationship with dance, similar to my relationship with food has shifted so much over the last 10 years, just as in my own work of, again, healing my relationship with food, it's paralleled healing my relationship with dance. And I think bringing, being able to go to the studio and not have to have the pressure of performing says a lot as well for what dance does for me in my life right now. So I just think at the point in my life, I don't have an urge to perform. I think a lot of dancers have that urge. I don't have that urge right now, Um, but I definitely, dancing is probably just, it's like my exit now. And it wasn't my exit when I was struggling with disordered eating. It was a stressful thing for me. So I needed to have that healing in my relationship with dance. And that's kind of where it's leveled at is leveled out, I should say, is taking class for myself and for my enjoyment and not necessarily putting pressure on myself to perform. Yeah, I was gonna say it sounds like it's shifted a little bit from like a stressor and I have to be the best at this and this is gonna be my career to now this is still something that I enjoy and I want to do and it can be more of an outlet than than the stressor. Um my second and I have two more. So my second, how are your feet? that's a funny question there my feet are scarred up I'll be honest with you I have not put point shoes on since my first pregnancy so I haven't worn point shoes in a long time occasionally I will put them back on and do a couple exercises just for strengthening work with my feet um so they're not as bad as like a what maybe an active a really active dancer's feet would look like but I would say they're not necessarily my most like I shouldn't say they're not a proud part. I, I don't know. They're, I don't know. They're, they're not, they're not pretty, but they're, they're cool. They're like, <laughs> they, they work. They work for me. Yeah. Listen, I, um, yeah. I didn't After know. Two kids. Yeah. I was going to say, I didn't know as a non-dancer, um, when you say you still take classes every now and again, in my mind, I was like, are all classes in point shoes? Maybe not. I have no idea. So I was like, I hope your feet are okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They can be in all, they can be, um, there was a time again, near, nearing my burnout from everything. There was a time where I was taking every class in point shoes, which also fed into a burnout mode. You know, had I had more guidance back then in regards to working with a dietitian who is more attuned to perfectionism and how to help dancers with perfectionism, I think that my trajectory as a dancer actually probably would have looked different because I wouldn't have experienced the burnout that I did experience. 
Uh, I see. Uh, okay, my final question, my third. So I have always thought and said to myself that people who can dance and people who can dance well have more fun. Now, this is coming from someone I do not dance. I mean, I, I will, but I don't dance well. I have no training, but I see people on apps or in videos having these routines and they're having so much fun and they're good at what they do. So I wonder, though, for you being classically trained with ballet, does that translate into being able to pick up other forms of dance really easily? Like if you see a trending dance or a trending sound that people have a dance to, are you able to pick that up even though it's not ballet? Like does once a dancer always make a dancer or not so much? So I I think it's individual because I've seen classically trained dancers, thinking of one in particular, I'll throw her name out, Tyler Peck, beautiful dancer. She really thrives with her versatility in different styles of dance. I definitely struggled more in regards to trans transferring ballet and then maybe into like hip hop. But I will say I was always pretty versatile with like jazz dance or even musical theater type of dance and that type of movement. Uh, but when it comes to like hip hop and TikTok dances in particular, I struggle with them. I could probably do it. I just need to practice a lot. But the musical theater, one, there's a musical theater one that's actually trending right now. That one I could probably do in a much easier way. Okay. That's interesting. I was just super curious. So I guess it yeah. It depends. Yes, um, exactly. Well, thank you for answering my fun rapid fire questions and talking to us all about nutrition and the dance community and your work. Um, where can people find you on social or if you have any other offers you want to plug for people to look into? Shout it out. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for having me. It's such an honor to get to chat with you today. And we definitely share a lot of similar perspectives. So it's always nice to uh, align with other fellow dietitians, yeah. even for referral referral purposes. So I can be found that Instagram is definitely the platform I am more active on. And there I'm at, I'm at to the point nutrition, but for your audience, I will make it known that point ends in an E because we're talking about the point that's related to dancers. Mm -hmm. So to the point nutrition is my Instagram account. I'm on TikTok as dancer nutritionist, but I struggle to stay active over there, but that's a whole nother. <laughs> um, but I would say I, I spend most of my time writing. I write on my blog, it's dancenutrition.com. And that's the, what I have set out to be a free resource site it really is geared for dancers, but I will say most of the topics that I cover can be relatable to anybody. So I would encourage for anyone who wants to just learn a little bit more, even if you have a dancer in your life where you feel like some of these struggles can relate, then definitely head over to my blog. It's just a free resource site to read about different topics in regards to fueling your body and also feeling your relationship with food. And then finally, I have the Healthy Dancer, which is a membership type of program. This one's geared towards dancers. So if you've got a dance for listening, then I highly encourage them to check out the Healthy Dancer. It's a membership platform that they can either work with me or work on their own and start the work of really learning how to, what I call, redefine what it means to be the Healthy Dancer. 
I guess our call to action for people can be look into the free resources if you're interested. But if you know a dancer, if you are a dancer, if you're related to a dancer, pass on the information for sure. Because I think you said uh, before we even started recording, or maybe it was after we hit record, that there are only a small handful of nutrition professionals in this space. So if anyone is listening who knows of an answer, pass on the information for sure. Um, But Rachel, it's been awesome to get to chat with you, get to know you a little bit more. We'll be sure to have all of your links and resources in the show notes. But for our listeners here today, that is all we have. So we are going to sign off by saying yours, Julie, Claire, and Rachel. And there you have it. That's a wrap for episode 180 here on the Yours Truly podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. A really big thank you to Rachel for being here. I really enjoyed learning about the dance community and nutrition for that community. That's something as a a dietitian or that's a population rather, I have never worked with and I have zero knowledge of really. So it was cool for me to learn and I hope you listener are taking some stuff away from this episode, whether you're a dancer, you know of one, you're related to one, or you're like me, you're not a dancer, but you're just here to learn all the things about nutrition and building a better relationship with food. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode or anything else that you've ever heard here on the podcast, it would mean the world to me and it would be so helpful to the show if you could tap those five stars wherever you are listening. If you feel inclined to type out a review, that would be lovely as well, but I appreciate you being here. Your time is a privilege and we've been here for almost an hour in this episode, so if you've stuck with me, I appreciate you and I hope you have a really wonderful Memorial Day weekend moving forward whatever you are doing. Remember those tips that I offered at the beginning of the episode, and I will see you back here in June for the next rendition of our show. Bye!